Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 209. We're in the book of John. We stopped in chapter 3 yesterday, so let's pick it up in chapter 4. It says, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Woman. Let's drop down to verse 3. It says, He left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had traveled through Samaria. Now, this is interesting and this is important because uh, most Jews avoided Samaria because they were considered to be unclean people. And they did not get along, but Jesus decided that he was going to go straight through Samaria to get to his destination. And so we see that Jesus was not subscribing to some of the views and the, and the traditions, if you will, of the past of the people. And so in verse 7, it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Let me back up and talk about Samaria for a second. Samaria used to be the capital of the northern kingdom, you know, hundreds of years ago. Uh, but if you remember, they were driven out or they were taken over by the Assyrians. And then uh, a lot of the people were deported and um, a remnant remained in the northern kingdom. And since that time, Samaria refers to the entire uh, northern kingdom, not just the city, not just the capital of the northern kingdom. But as was the, uh, the custom of the day, when people would get deported, uh, then the conquering people uh, would repopulate that land with people from other territories that they had conquered. They would resettle the land with other people. And so this is what happened in the northern kingdom. And so Samaria... uh, 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 became uh, mixed, if you will, with a bunch of different people, a bunch of different races of people, ethnic backgrounds, a bunch of different customs and religions and whatnot. And so this is why uh, the Jews despised uh, the Sumerians, because they were a mixed people, considered unclean, and they had mixed traditions as far as religion, religion is concerned, and idol worship and and this, that, and the other. And so, but Jesus decides to, to cut right through this territory. And then we see <clears throat> uh, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So Jesus was alone, and he went up to this woman and said, give me a drink. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And so not only in, you know, was it she a Samaritan, but she was a female as well by herself. And so she's like, what's going on? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, she said. In verse 10, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. So Jesus is now kind of revealing to her who he really is. Verse 11, Sir, she said, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? I mean, valid question, right? You aren't greater than the father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself. He did his sons, as did his sons and livestock. And so going back again, she's referring back to Jacob and says, look, uh, this well is from our father Jacob. He drank from it. His sons drank from it. Livestock drank from it. You know, what's this living water you're talking about? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up from him for eternal life. Now, imagine if you're this Samaritan woman, you're like, what is this dude talking about? Is he insane? Is he crazy? You know, in verse 15, sir, 
the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. So she's still thinking about natural water. She says, give me this water so I don't have to come back to this well and keep, you know, uh, lowering my bucket to get more water. Then Jesus responds, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have, uh, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, said Jesus. For you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus is now starting you know, to read her mind, read her history, read her story. Verse 19, sir, the woman replied, I see you are a prophet. Our ancestors, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, uh, but the Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. So she's identifying him. It says, okay, this is a spiritual man because how would he know this stuff? Now she goes to uh, essentially ask him a question. You know, is this the right place to worship? You know, we worship here, but the Jews say you have to worship in Jerusalem. So tell me what the deal is. Verse 21, Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this uh, mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does this mean? And so let, let's, uh, let's go over to another translation. Let's go over to the Passion Translation and see what it has to say. Uh, from here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit. And he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. And so Jesus is saying, look, the type of worship you're familiar with is not what the father is really after because you're concerned about time and place and this, that, and the other. And what God is looking for is a spirit to spirit connection with his people, you see. And so He's looking for uh, people to worship him in their spirit, which means that it's not something that's necessarily an outward expression, but something that is internal, something that um, when you know that you know that you know, you're communicating with something beyond you inside and allowing that something to correct you, allowing that something to direct you, allowing that something to guide you, allowing that something to not be polluted you know, by any outside influences. And so, so Jesus is correcting, you know, how she looks at worship. In verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So Jesus has revealed himself to this woman. The next section says the ripened harvest. Verse 27, just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking to this woman. See, they were surprised he was talking to, you know, this Samaritan woman. It's like, what is he doing? But they were afraid to ask Jesus about it, so they didn't ask him about it. But they took note because, again, it was not custom uh, for Jews to communicate and, and, and be in the company of Samaritans. This was considered wrong. Verse 28, 
Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, did he tell her everything she ever did? No. So she was exaggerating. But he told her enough that she knew he was something he was de- she was dealing with something else because how could he know all these things about me? Verse 31. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to him, now recall again when, when, when they were feeding the, the thousands, you know, the disciples were focusing on food. Where are we going to get this, this food? And, and Jesus is saying, look, don't worry, it'll be provided for us. So here again, we're surrounded by a food analogy thing. And he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. As human beings, this is where we fall down many times. We start stuff, but we don't finish it. See, (laughs) we're good for starting stuff. We start a lot of stuff, but we don't finish what we start. And so, and, and, and that goes for uh, natural things as well as spiritual things. We initiate stuff. We're good at coming up with ideas and initiating stuff. But seeing it through, seeing it to completion, only a few of us do that. We need to get, our, we need to get ourselves together. We, a lot of times the ideas and whatnot that get dropped into us, I believe, are divinely inspired. But what good does it do if we don't see these things through? What good does it do if we don't complete these things? Because usually in the middle somewhere it becomes work and drudgery and whatnot, but we have to demonstrate endurance. We have to demonstrate a stick to We have to demonstrate discipline because we have to get to the finish line. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say... There are still four more months, and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, because they are ready for the harvest. The reaper uh, reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. Now, I think Jesus is kind of talking in duality here, and I'm sure the disciples are not quite sure, because when he first starts saying, you know, don't you say in four months, here comes the harvest, they're thinking about the natural harvest. You know, they seeded, they planted, or they planted, they seeded, and they plowed, they planted, they seeded, you know, they did all this stuff. And so then they have to wait for it to, to germinate and fester, and then, uh, uh, and then it'll grow, and then they can harvest. So I, I think they're thinking of the fields, but Jesus isn't talking about, you know, farming. He's not talking about farming as far as food is concerned. He's talking about farming as far as people is concerned. He says, listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. The first time I read this, a lot of times when I say the reaper, you know, my mind automatically goes to the grim reaper. You know, that's not what Jesus is talking about. The reaper is the one who's harvesting. It says the reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal harvest so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. 
So the one who sowed the seed and the one who's reaping the harvest are both uh, uh, excited and whatnot because the harvest has come in. If the seed hadn't been sowed, then there wouldn't be any harvest. If the harvest hadn't been reaped, then there wouldn't be any harvest. <laughs> so you need both. You need the sower and the reaper so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. Verse 37, for in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have been, uh, benefited from their labor. So this could be referring to the Old Testament prophets who prophesied, who laid the groundwork, who sowed the seed, you know, and kept sowing and sowing and didn't necessarily, a lot of times all they saw was death and destruction. So they didn't see any reaping of the harvest. And so here we have the apostles now or the disciples at this point, I believe. Uh, of Jesus is saying that they are reaping, they are reaping the souls that they did not labor for, that they did not sow. You know, that was done prior to them. And that happens many times with us where we sow the seed. We, we, we uh, preach the gospel to somebody. It could be family members, close friends or whatever. And it doesn't seem like it has any effect. It seems like, uh, it, it, like I said, no effect. And matter, and matter of fact, in some cases, they outright reject it. But then a year later, five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, somebody comes along and then does the same thing. They recall the seed that was planted by you many years ago, except now is a different time and they receive the word of the Lord and they uh, make themselves eligible for, for salvation. In that case, that person did not sow the seed, but they reaped the harvest. But without you sowing the seed, that harvest would have never been reaped. And so we're responsible for sowing the seed and for the seeds that we've sown that appear to not have done anything with our loved ones. We must have faith and believe that maybe others will come along and reap the harvest of them committing their lives because we sowed the seed prior. The Savior of the world in verse 39. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed him because of what the woman said. See, so many believed about Jesus because of what she said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. And so many believed at that point. So that's all they needed. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. And so many believe based on what she said. But they all came to Jesus to hear what he had to say because of her. And so then many others believed after they heard him. But if not for her, none of them would have believed. See, there are some people that were only coming to the kingdom of God via you. That's it. Either right then and there or at some point in time in the future after you have sowed the seed. But if not for you, if not for you making that introduction to the things of the Lord, they would never come to the Lord. The second sign, healing of the uh, official son. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal officer, uh, official whose son was ill at Capernaum. Uh, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I think he's saying this out of exasperation. Then the man says, sir, come down before my boy dies. 
Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. Now, this is key. The man believed what Jesus said, and then he departed. In verse 51, while he was still going down, his servants met him, saying that the boy was alive. He asked, what, he asked him, what time? What time of day? You know, did he get better? Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed and his entire household. So a sign, they just didn't believe on hearing. See, they needed the sign. So the sign was shown. His son was healed. So he and his whole household then believed. So we see how this gospel thing spreads, how it works, right? It has to work through people in contact with other people. That's the way it has to work. You know, not shoving anything down anybody's throat. You know, rarely do you see people come to the Lord as far as stranger to stranger. You know, it's usually they come in the door through some kind of a personal relationship with somebody. Chapter 5. It says, the third sign, healing the sick. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had been uh, there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Now, this is, <laughs> this is a very important question, okay? Because not everybody who is ill, physically, emotionally, whatever, wants to get well. I know this sounds strange, but it's true because they, they, they get attached to the attention that they get. And sometimes they've been in this condition so long, they're afraid of what they would do uh, if the condition didn't exist. They don't know how they, what would life be like without this condition. And so either consciously or subconsciously, they do things to sabotage their own healing. And so Jesus asked, do you want to get well? Sir, the, the, uh, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool. He was at a pool, um, and I guess people believed because it was surrounded by sick people that there was healing in this pool. I have no, uh, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But I'm coming. Uh, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. And so what the man is saying: when I get myself, when I crawl up to the pool, getting ready to get in, somebody cuts in front of me and gets in ahead of me. And so Jesus says, "Get up." Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now that was on the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. I mean, this is ridiculous. For 38 years, this guy has been sick. He could not move. He's been ill and whatnot. And so now he can get up and walk, and they're saying, look, you're picking up your mat. This is prohibited on the Sabbath. They weren't... <laughs> They were so far from thinking about people, it's not even funny. In verse 11, he replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who was this man? And the guy said, I don't know. Then it says in verse 14, after this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that... The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Why would he do this? I mean, he had to know that they were after Jesus, I would think. And so he sees Jesus in the temple. Jesus tells him, okay, sin no more. So then he goes and tells the Jews, yeah, that's the guy who healed me. 
Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Honoring the Father and the Son. Verse 19. Uh, Truly, I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own. Okay. Let me back up. And so the Jews began to persecute Jesus uh, because of the things that he was doing on the Sabbath. So Jesus said to them, my father is still working and I am working also. And then he says, truly, I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life uh, to whom he wants. The father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. So that all people may honor the son just as they honor the father. So that all people may honor Jesus just as they honor, you know, the generic God, if you will. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. If you don't honor Jesus, you're not honoring God. So he's trying he's trying to explain and educate, you know, the, the Pharisees and the scribes and whatnot on what the deal is. The next section says life and judgment. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me. You'll have eternal life. This is the invitation that keeps going out to people. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Do you believe him who sent him? He says you'll have eternal life and you will not come under, uh, under judgment, but you have passed from death into life. In verse 25, truly I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead, when the spiritually dead, this is referring to, when the people have no consciousness or recollection of God, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, when those dead who don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, God, or anything, there come a day where they will start to hear and they will start to listen. And those who hear will live. They will hear they were reckoned unto the voice or they were hearkened unto the voice and they will turn from their wicked ways. Verse 26, for just as the father has life in himself, also he has granted the son to have life in himself. And so just as the father has created life, see, he has also granted the son the power to create life, to create life through repentance, to create life through the recognition of who he is so that your destiny will not be death but so that your destiny will be, in fact, eternal life. Verse 27, and he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the son of man. Because he has lived on earth as the man, he has the right to pass judgment on man because he has lived this life. If Jesus had not come in bodily form, you know, in in fleshly form, then he would not have the same rights because he would not have been one of us. But he did. So therefore, he has the right to pass judgment because he was temptation. Uh, he was tempted with everything, but he sinned not. And so he had the right. In verse 28, it says, do not be amazed at this because the time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Now, this is talking about the, de- the dead and come out um, 
and come out those who have done good things to the resurrection of life. So those will be raised from the dead. They will uh, be resurrected uh, to life because of the good things that they have done out of the out of the um, inspiration of uh, of God in recognition of Jesus. But those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. So they will be resurrected in order to be condemned. That seems to be harsh, but that's what the word says. In verse 30, I can do nothing on my own, says Jesus. Says Jesus. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. My judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I'm not here doing my own thing based on my own opinions. I can render judgment, and my judgment, my judgment is righteous, because of the one who sent me, because I'm judging exactly as he would. Witnesses to Jesus. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony he he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John, and he testified the truth. I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Jesus is saying, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what you say about me. You know, that, that's not the issue here. But I'm telling you these things so that you will understand that, and, and, uh, that there are others who have testified ab- about me, others who have prophesied about me, so that you may believe and be saved. In verse 35, John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while. In his lamp, in his light, <laughs> you weren't willing to turn, but for a while you were willing to rejoice at what John was uh, preaching. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has Himself testified about me. You have not heard His voice at any time, and you haven't seen His form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. He said, if you had the word residing in you, if you, you know, you do all this study and reading, but if the word was really inside you, you would recognize who I am. But because you don't recognize who I am, you know, that's an indication, that's proof that you don't have the word inside of you. Verse 39, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. See, but you don't see it, even though you pour over the scriptures in verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have eternal life. Verse 41, I do not accept glory from people, but I know you, that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. I come in the name of my father, you don't accept me. But if somebody comes in a different name, you'll accept him. Verse 44, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? You seek man's approval. You seek man's worship. You seek man's adulation, but you don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. Your priorities and perspectives are all screwed up. Again, he's talking to the Pharisees and scribes, the teachers of Israel. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to have your, don't, 
Do not think that I will accuse you to the father. Your accuser is Moses. Jesus said, I'm not accusing you. Moses is accusing you on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Moses wrote about what would happen uh, with John hearkening, uh, with John heralding in the Lord, with Jesus coming. uh, Moses prophesied this stuff. Jesus is saying, if you would listen to your father, then you would know about me. But you don't listen to him. You claim, you know, to listen to and to follow Moses, but you don't. It says, but if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? This is a scathing rebuking from Jesus <laughs> to the Pharisees. He, he's telling them all about themselves, you know. With that, we are done for today. Um, we will pick it up in episode 210 tomorrow in chapter 6 of the book of John. And remember that the invitation from the Lord is constantly going out, making a plea to your heart, making a plea to your mind and your emotions, to your entire existence. You know, before it's too late, recognize who Jesus is. The word says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will not be put to shame and you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Not just empty words, because if you make that confession sincerely, then it will change your life. It will change your behavior. It will change a lot of things about what you do. Everybody stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And should he not come between now and tomorrow and he grants me another day of life, I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye now.